When I go to get my car worked on at places to get tires on, put on, things like that, and end up at the lobby, I end up discovering new TV shows that I didn't know about before, and somewhere along the line, as I was getting tires put on, I discovered a show that probably many of you guys have heard of before called Undercover Boss. The show's been running for, I think, over 10 years when I looked up information on it. The premise of the show is simple if you've never seen it before. They, they get the biggest companies they can, pretty, some big names, kind of like Marco's Pizza, places like that, and they get the chief operating officer or the owner of the business, and they put a wig on them, they put makeup on them, they put fake facial hair on them, and they send them to their business as a new hire employee. And that there's this videotaping going on that's just kind of a reality that's unrelated to the company, but just to this person's life. And what happens is they take someone who's like a minimum, minimum wage worker and have them training the owner of the company. And the owner kind of asks questions to get some thoughts out of them. What do you think about upper management? What do you think about the business? And as you can imagine, they get some interesting answers of what the lower level workers think of upper management. All kinds of things have gotten shared on this where they're saying, well, you know, management doesn't know what's going on. Our customers are all stupid. They tell us to do it this way, but this is how we do it instead. We don't follow what corporate tells us to do. And the whole time you can just see the blood pressure of the owner like rising as these things are happening. And then the show gets to the point, the, the climax point that everybody's waiting for is let's see the moment where the employee finds out the person that they've been talking to the whole time, the person they've been bad-mouthing management to the whole time, is the owner. And you get that fun point where the employee is in shock. And sometimes the employees do a great job. Sometimes they, they connect well and they let the, the owner know what they need to do to let, run the business better. They show that they're committed. And sometimes the person knows, I am so fired right now. And it just depends on the person and what they've said, but it reaches that really amusing point where they find out, I've been talking to my boss this whole time. And it's a pretty funny show to kind of watch and watch them go through. My concern is, and why I bring it up, and to get us thinking about the passages we're going to look into today, my concern is that so many people who go to church, who call themselves Christians, are going to reach the end of their life, and they're going to somehow be surprised by the fact that Jesus really is Lord. They're going to reach the end of their life and they're going to rehearse the things that they've said, the things that they've done, the things they've invested their life into, and it's going to feel a shock when they recognize that he was really serious about what he said. That he is going to inspect the things that he's told you that he expects out of you. That he's going to look into your life and the way that you lived. And he's going to have some questions for you. And it's my concern that so many people who will say with their lips, Jesus is Lord, will be shocked that he expected their belief to come out into the way that they practically live. And last week, we looked at some of the names for God in the Old Testament. We looked at Elohim, and we looked at Yahweh. And today, we're going to look at some of the names that get used for God, that get used for Jesus in the New Testament. 
And we're going to start off with the, the term Lord that gets used many places. It's connected to the Lord Jesus. And we understand and we say that he is Lord, but it doesn't always flow into the way that we live. And that's what I want to get into a little bit today. And we're going to put this passage up on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The term Lord here is the, the, the word kurios in Greek. And I want to give you a biblical definition of this specific word as we look into it. It means supreme or the owner, and we'll put this definition up on the, the screen. The owner, the one who has control of the person, the master. And we have read Lord Jesus so many times that we feel like it's just an extension of his name. We don't always recognize that it's meant to carry an authority with it. It's a message where we're looking at what does it, the position that he has over us. And so the starting point of this message where we're looking at what does it mean that Jesus is our Lord? The starting question would be, do we see him as Lord or do we see him as associate? I believe that sometimes we've seen him as sub, subordinate. That we've looked at what he said as an, as an option rather than an instruction. And what scripture says is he is the owner. He is the controller. He is the master of our life when we say that he is Lord. I want to expound upon this with some things that Jesus had to say about his expectation of those who say that he is Lord. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he says, this is Jesus teaching, and he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now, I want you to hear that, and I've shared this passage before, and I had someone get back up in my face, and they said, You're teaching a works gospel. I am not teaching a works gospel. I am reading to you the words of the gospel. I am reading to you the words of Jesus Christ who said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do my Father's will. Now, it's not that you earn your way through action, but there is a truth that if your heart is really repentant, if your heart really says, Jesus, you are Lord, you will have actions that flow out of your life that are described as doing the Father's will. Now, if you're hearing that and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe that's just one passage where Jesus comes off a little harsh. At the end of that passage, it actually says, I will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus is teaching and he says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And he's talking about how to judge our own lives. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied and said, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. I want you to know, in Romans 12, 9, describes the love that we should have for God. And it says, love must be sincere abhor or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. There is a reality that when your heart is God's, it will flow out into your actions. Us dads in the room, uh, and I understand maybe not all or like this, but most of us, we love to fix a problem 
as long as it's not like an emotionally counseling problem. We love to get our hands on a problem and fix it. If something's wrong, let's get it working. If the car won't start, let's check the battery, let's check the alternator, let's check the starter, let's get this baby cranking, let's get our hands to action. Let's not just sit around and talk about the problem at hand. That'll drive a dad nuts. Give me something that I can put my hands on. Is there a problem with that boy? Do I need to take him down to the Everglades? I'll put my hands on the problem and fix it. Dads want to fix what's going on. But for some reason, it's become all too common for, especially with men in our culture, to say, I have a belief in God, but it doesn't flow out towards my actions. And I want you to see clearly from Scripture that the concept of Jesus being Lord means that he has authority over the way that you live and act. And if Jesus is Lord, he has said that he will measure twice and cut once. That's the rule when you're building something. He will inspect what is going on in your life. That If you're a follower of Christ, you are saved by grace, but that grace that you've received will flow back out of your life and make a difference in other places. And I want to talk about how we get there because it's one thing to say, this is how we need to be living. But if you're in the middle of this where you say, I'm beginning to understand that God should have a significant place in my life. If you're in the place where you're saying, I've got to get this stuff right with God and I've got to begin to change because I know there's some stuff going on in my life, going on in my history that should not belong. One of the places that you should start is that last verse that I referenced, Romans 12, verse 9. It begins to talk about the way that you see things in life. It says, love must be sincere. First of all, real love for God is leading towards actions. And and to get your actions to be different, you need to love what he loves and you need to hate what he hates. How have you seen sin? Have you seen it as, oh man, like like that was the fun stuff, now we're into the boring stuff. Like I'm getting out of sin in my life and I'm getting into the godly stuff. Like, Like do you still have this almost like, I wish I could be? sensation? Have you bought into the lie that the sin is not destructive that you got out of? Have you bought into the lie that the sin that other people are into, that they're just having fun and it's not leading them down towards a path that destroys relationships and destroys futures? Are you still seeing it that way? Because I want to tell you, if you're seeing it that way, you've bought into a lie. Like what is evil will eventually lead towards destruction in relationships and occupations and in families. And you need to begin to see things the way that God sees them. You need to cling toward to what is good. Understand that it is an investment as I change this. That maybe I've messed up a relationship significantly in my life, but as I cling towards doing what is good, what is right, it is going to bring life back into that relationship. The way that you see it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to guide your actions. And if you in your heart still hold to, man, you know, th- that was fun back then. And if you allow your heart to continue to see it for something that it's not, you're going to fall back into those behaviors. And if Jesus is Lord, and this is the term that gets used so many times in the New Testament for him, if he is master, if he is authority, then we have to fall in line with what he has said of how we are supposed to live. I'll I'll, I'll use it this way. Let's say um, if, if your heart is turned towards a special lady, you know that the emotion that you feel for her needs to be turned into flowers arriving in her hands, dates getting scheduled on the calendar. But you know what? It's not Valentine's Day, so let's not use that illustration. Let's flip the script over. It's Father's Day. 
So if you have a dad that you love in your life and you care for him, then that affection that you feel should naturally flow into actions, right, men? All right, we're afraid to talk. If there are people around you that love you and they care for you and they have that affection, men, shouldn't that turn into some action today? That's right. You can take that however you want to of how I said it, but there should be a nap time. There should be a nice dinner because that affection wells up into action. We understand that in relationships. We understand that in occupation, that if you have someone who is over you in authority and they say, you need to get this project done, that if you don't get that project done, you're going to move from employed to unemployed because what you know should happen has to turn into action and employment in your faith. Our life should not be lived. Our faith life should not be lived. Just continuing to draw the lines of here's the things that I shouldn't do. Our faith life should be lived out on here is what I should be doing. It's not about just staying away from the negative, but understanding that God has a calling for your life right now. That if you're in middle school or high school in this room, that if you're in the career stage of your life, that if you're retired right now in your life, God has a calling for you to grab a hold of right now. And it's not about just protecting ourselves from slipping up and making a mistake, but it's understanding that he is Lord and he's given me an assignment. Jesus describes it in Matthew 25, and it's a familiar parable where he entrusts different sums of money to different workers, and he goes away, and the one who gets in big trouble is the one who took the, what he was entrusted to, buried it in the ground, and gave back to his master exactly what his master gave him, and didn't take any risks, didn't do anything that might lose it, didn't do anything that might gain it. And Jesus is using this illustration of saying, he's given you a gift, he's given you an opportunity, and if in the way that Jesus described the servant who did nothing with what he was entrusted with, he described that servant as wicked and lazy and threw him out. You have been given an opportunity. You have been given a treasure. You have been given life in your breath. You have been given this day to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And what God expects of you is that you would take risks. I talked about it last week. I'm going to talk about it again Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and he took this risk and he immediately started to sink and Jesus grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. And I believe that that is the illustration of, of what our life should be lived like if Jesus is Lord, that we're gonna get out and we're gonna take risks and we, I would rather spend our life having these moments where we start to sink than spend our life just sitting around. You are meant to take risks for the kingdom of God. You are meant to seize opportunities for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, not just that he expects it, but that he is going to inspect it one day. He's gonna go through your life and he's gonna say, what are the fruits that came through your life? Did you do the will of my father? Is what Matthew 7 says. Matthew, John, John 14 says, those who love me will do what I say. What are some of the things that he says? First of all, repentance and change in our heart. The word repent talks about a mental changing of how we see things, the mental changing of how we see sin, loving what he loves, hating what he hates. He said, Jesus says, many will say, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not say a prayer? Lord, Lord, did we not do things in your name? And he said, I never knew you because it never took action in your life. Your heart state matters, your belief matters, but your actions will be judged according to Jesus. 
And this is not that you would earn salvation. This is not that you would never have a moment where you start to sink and mess up and regress, but it's that you, we as Christians should be taking hold of this life if we call him Lord. We should be going after living. And, and when, when the scripture calls him Lord, it clarifies the lordship that he deserves even further because the term Lord in scripture, it's used for other people as well. It's used for other bosses. It's used for landowners. It's used for employers. It's used for people of significant positions that would be Lord. But in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, it further describes the lordship that Jesus deserves in our heart and our mind. And it's describing the end times of this war that's gonna be waged against Jesus. The lamb is another term that's used for Jesus. We'll put this up on the screen as I read it from Revelations chapter 17, verse 14. It says, they will wage war against the lamb. That's a term for Jesus in Revelations. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. This other title, Lord of Lords, it's wanting to put the emphasis on the fact that he is supreme over everyone else who is supreme. That Jesus has authority over everyone else who has authority. Do you remember the times in elementary, if you're at least as old as I am, you saw this. They probably outlawed it in schools now. But there was times in elementary school where your teacher would leave the room and she would assign one student to be in charge of the classroom while she was gone or while he was gone. You remember those times? It's funny because you, you, you'd get different things on the spectrum. Like some kids would be like, okay, we have five minutes, complete anarchy. Do whatever you want. And that would happen sometimes. And then you have some kids who are like, they've been waiting for this moment to like settle some scores. And they're now in this position of authority. And so like someone sneezes and they're like, that's it, Luke, I'm writing your name on the board. Make one more noise and I'll circle it. Make another noise, I'll put a check mark. And then I'm going to give your mom a phone call. And it's like, you're in fourth grade, buddy. And like the teacher finally comes in, whichever state is happening, and you're like, oh, finally, the one who's really in charge gets back. There's a sense of, you know, this person is in charge right now in our nation. There's a sense of this person is the most influential person in our world right now. And those things continually change. But I want you to know with absolute certainty who is really on the throne that he is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings and every kingdom bows before the name of Jesus Christ. And when we know that and when we say that and we read that in scripture, that's one thing. But have you applied that logic and that reason to the way that you're living your life? That what Jesus wants matters most. It matters most. And we have a timely, we have a response Time that is fading every single day to live out this calling. He is the Lord of Lords. He, des- he deserves all of our time, all of our heart, all of our praise. We understand that He is Lord, that He is Master, that He, he is in control, but He is above all others. We'll, we'll say it this way you know that blood pressure rise you get when a police officer starts tailgating you? I know we got some police officers in our, in our church, and I love you guys. Some of you guys have picked on me before in the church because they'll pull up and turn their lights on right next to me just to wave at me and say hi. And I'm like, thank you for that little mini heart attack. But I've also seen police officers have that same little response when they, when they have a cap, their captain walk in the room. There's levels of authority. The captain responds different when the mayor's in the room. The mayor responds different when a senator's in the room. 
The senators respond differently with the presidents in the room. And all of these authorities of people that we may not get to meet, I want you to know that you do have the opportunity to have a connection and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I don't want you to miss the fact that he is the authority. What he says will happen in time. And we might believe that, you know, if I go outside of God's design, it's going to work. It feels like it's been working for a little while. There will come a time where you see that what he has spoken is true. And he is worthy, man, he is worthy of your trust. You want to have a close relationship? You want to have a, a, a healthy marriage? Trust in the words of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of lords. You want to be successful in business? Follow his teachings. Follow his teachings. And you'll see he is good on his promise. You have an opportunity to show compassion to someone who does not deserve compassion, but God has been so compassionate with you, you feel compelled that you need to let that same grace that you've received flow to them, trust it into his hands. Things may not always seem to make sense in the kingdom of earth, but I'm going to promise you it'll make sense in the kingdom of heaven when you follow the instruction and the teaching of the Lord of Lords. And so there, there's this, this truth that lordship, that Lord is a great title to carry. Jesus carries that title. Lord of Lords is a tremendous title. I mean, it puts him above all the kings and all the masters of the earth. That's incredible. Last week, if you weren't here with us, we, we looked at the, the term for God, Elohim in scripture, which is creator God, powerful enough to speak everything into existence. And we looked at Yahweh, which was a, a, the name for God, the personal name for God that the Hebrew people were given. And it was such a protected name that you were not supposed to use the name of the Lord in vain. In vain means to not say it with his full sense of fullness. And it was so protected that when they wrote it down, they would remove the vowels from it because they wanted to protect even thinking that name. It was so holy. The name was so great. The name was so powerful. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good part of the New Testament and gave these different instructions to the church, and he, he's the author of the book of Philippians that I'm about to quote. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He knew all of the Hebrew. He, he knew all of the, the Old Testament stories of what God had instructed. He knew the commandments. He knew how to live them. He knew how to honor God in the Jewish system, and so he was very familiar with the term Yahweh and the significance of that term, that it was not to be spoken in vain. You, you got to get your heart ready to say the name Yahweh. And with that understanding, I want to put up on, on behind me Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. And the Apostle Paul writes and says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, and he gave him a name that is above every name. Do you want to know how the Apostle Paul saw the importance of the name of Jesus who is Lord? The name above all names. Like th this would be offensive to some of the Hebrew people because you're elevating the name of Jesus so high. The name that is above every name. And he continued in verse 10 and he said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, is master to the glory of God the Father. He put the name of Jesus above Yahweh. The way that we see him, the way that his name escapes our lip, it should be said with the most respect and the most love and the most affection and the most obedience that our heart should muster, could muster. 
I grew up in some southern climates, and so maybe you haven't seen this before, but in, in southern, southern mama's kind of grandma age, it was very common that if they heard bad news, you would hear from an authentic heart of prayer just kind of flow out of them. And when they heard something bad happen, they would just go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it, and it legitimately was just a prayer where they were just asking, Jesus, would you intervene? And it was common. But my theory is that just through generations, Hearing the name Jesus and just saying it in response to bad news, it's become to the point in our culture where Jesus is just used like, oh crap. Like, I mean, it's just used in this very flippant manner. And I'm not talking about this to apply to anyone else, but just to ourselves as followers of Jesus, just to ourselves who say Jesus is Lord, that he is Lord of lords, that his name is above all other names, that when we speak the name of Jesus, our heart should rehearse who we're talking to and who we're talking about. That for yourself, Your heart should be so inclined with the person of Jesus that to hear his name, you should just rehearse in there, man. That is the name above all other names. We say the name Jesus, and it's been transliterated from really Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English, and we've come with the name Jesus. But when you read it in its original, the name is Yeshua. The same name for Joshua that's used in the Old Testament. The name of Jesus, Yeshua, it actually is a combination of two Hebrew words. And the one, the starting off, the Yi, that is part of the name Yahweh. And then the second part is is salvation or or saves or call for salvation. And the name Jesus, it's put together to mean our God saves. Our God is salvation. It is the name above all names because this this Yahweh, who, who made himself known to the Hebrew people. He has sent salvation in this person of Yeshua. When we say Jesus is the name above all names, we're saying Yeshua is the name above all names. His power is indescribable. His capacity to work in your life is without end. He has spoke everything into existence and he is worthy to be treated with the respect that he has earned. And church, I want to, impress upon you. And band, you guys can come up. I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. When we think of the names for God and we think of Lord, man, Lord, it, it could almost be enough that he is master, that he's in control. Lord of lords, that could almost be enough because he's over all of the kings. But scripture took the description of the name of Jesus even further to say that his name is the name above all other names. And to understand that he deserves that much authority is a mental ascension. But I want to get to a very practical point. Are we allowing him to have influence and authority over the way that we live? Because as Jesus said it, it's those who do the will of my Father. It's those who follow my commandments that love me. At the end of the day, a tree will be judged by the fruit that it bears And so it's so critical to allow this affection and this love that we have in our head to flow out through our actions. You know, this topic, it it reminds me of a story that I think that I shared before, but it's like my son, uh, when he was a little bit younger, he got into this habit of looking at me and saying, I'm the boss. And I'm like, no, I can pick you up by your legs and swing you around. Like you're, you're, you're tiny. 
You're little, you don't have authority. You can't even reach the middle shelves of the fridge. Like you are not the boss. And it became a joke for him. And it came, and it would come up in different ways. And sometimes I'd be trying to do something great for him. I'm like, I am trying to get you ice cream, but you have to clean up your dinosaurs, young man. And he's like, no, I want ice cream first. I'm the boss. (laughs) If I know one thing about parenting, I know letting you win is not good for you right now. And so press it. Okay, this is what has to happen before I can give you what I want to give you. Like you have to take the steps. Good things are in store, but you have to take the steps. You have to take the action. You've been given a job to do. You've got to do it. And in the same way, man, we have been looking at God and we've been living our life in a way as to say, God, I'm the boss and you're going to give me what I want when I tell you to give it to me. And it hasn't worked and it has felt hollow and it has felt empty and it's made us question if God is there because he's not responding to our orders. And church, the beautiful thing that as you walk in his ways, his burden is light. As you walk in his ways and you follow his commandments, everything else that you needed gets added. You just have to seek the kingdom of God first. God has great things ahead of you because the way that scripture describes him in another way of Lord, Lord of Lords, name above all names is it describes him as a good, good father. So you have a good heavenly father. And as a good father does, he's taught you and he's given you instructions. And church, this is our opportunity to grab a hold and say, I will take action in this life. My actions matter. Jesus told me time and time again, my actions matter matter and I believe that when we begin to take up the calling of saying I need my faith to take action in my life it starts with immediate application of just beginning to lean our heart further towards God and so maybe in this moment you need to worship a little bit differently maybe you want to stand as we sing the closing song maybe some of you need to sit and reflect in prayer and and worship introspectively and quietly and so however it needs to take shape for you that's fine but I believe that just even in this moment of saying Our actions matter to God. Our worship is one of those actions. Like our worship should come from the deep place of our heart where these affections, they have to make their way out to you, our heavenly father. You are Lord, you are Lord of Lords. You're the name above all names and I will worship you as such. And as it starts here, it can then flow into, my faith should take actions into hearing a fresh word from God as I read my scripture. My, my, my feelings towards God should take actions and compassion and stopping to help that person who needs help. My faith in God should take actions to praying, giving my needs to my heavenly father and trusting him to his hands. My faith should take action into worship, turning on a worship playlist and just singing out alone to God. It should take action, but I believe if it's gonna take action, it'll start here in authentically worship, worshiping him. And so I wanna challenge you as we move into this, this song, maybe just lean your heart further into God if you've just been coasting through the motions. Let it begin now. And so as you're comfortable, whether you stand or whether you sit, bring your heart in worship of this one who is the name above all names, at this one that every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He is worthy. Let's worship together.